You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Global Trade This Week. I am Pete Mento, uh, coming to you live with a soundtrack. Doug, we just can't seem to get away from the music. Um, and with me, as always, is my co-host, definitely the, um, the brains in the operation, Doug Draper. Doug, how you doing, buddy? Pete, I'm doing good. I appreciate that. I'm not sure about about brains, but I appreciate the uh, the comment checks in the mail. So um, yeah, it's funny. I was just looking a collared shirt. I'm usually in a collared shirt, and you got a baseball cap and the Johnny the Johnny Cash black. So that means you got your A game on today for sure. I do. I've got to go put a suit on. Um, I'm attending the healthcare healthcare logistics professional. Hold on. I want to say it right because I am speaking tomorrow. The uh, Health and Personal Care Logistics Conference. I'm going to attend the conference today. I'm going to speak tomorrow. So I do have to dress like an adult here um, in about an hour or so and go over there and, uh, you know, wave the flag, buddy. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I know uh, I know your topic that you're speaking on is something that we uh, spoke about, I don't know, last week or the week before. So, um, yeah, the, the black swan, I like your take on it, so... Yeah, there's no such thing anymore. Yeah, I, I'm just you got to come up with something new. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good deal. All right. Well, anyway, I know you're uh, um, in the alcove of a lobby. So if there's some background noise, then it is what it is. So, um, Doug, Doug, we always show up when we can, right? Yes. Yes, I am in the coffee room in the lobby of the Talbot. But I'll tell you what, I'm here. Yeah. And I've got my A game, buddy. So let's let's do it. Yeah, well, if need be, bring that guy that's making all the noise over into the into the camera shot, and we'll we'll get his take on uh, Black Swan events. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that, buddy. Yeah. Well, I kicked off, so you go ahead and do the first topic, pal. All right, all right. So this one is a uh, uh, pretty basic, and I, I'm sure a lot of people have have seen the news, but I'm I'm going to refer to it as an East Coast and a West Coast tug of war, uh, rap battle as it relates to ports. Um, and, and ports of entry. So, you know, a quick overview, right? When uh, LA Long Beach was congested, crazy, the COVID, you know, explosion, everybody said, forget this, we're going to go to the East Coast. Panama Canal got busy, all the second tier ports along the uh, southern East, East Coast really, <clears throat> excuse me, took a spike and very beneficial for that geographic area and was a great release valve. Well, now that the labor strike is over, now that congestion is no longer relevant and, and doesn't exist there anymore, and with the Panama Canal challenges and the water levels and um, you know the controlled nature of how vessels are moving through that, shocker, everybody thinks LA is the place to be now. So uh, we're seeing a big shift back to, uh, uh, to California, which completely makes sense, right? Um, you, you, you chase price, which things are ungodly and expensive now as you bring on to the West Coast. The labor issues are, are gone. The congestion's gone. Uh, they said the rates are lower, Panama Canal. Um, and I think that the statistic I heard um, on freightways was that um, L.A. and Long Beach uh, is up 14 and 19 percent, respectively, year over year over year in September. So basically volumes are starting to ramp up. Volumes are static in the other markets. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's all about, uh, about cost and, and efficiencies. 
So um, I think that we're going to see that trend. It's funny that just the the the, the pendulum swing, and, and we've ha- I talked about this throughout multiple topics on 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 different aspects of it. The swing that took us through the roaring twenties during COVID is now shifting back. You know, people, companies have gone back to their core competency, and let's just when push comes to shove, let's be laser focused on what we do best. Now that the craziness of the LA port is is done from congestion and labor, everybody's shifting back back to LA. So I don't know how that's going to affect the East Coast ports. The one thing, the wild card here, and we've talked about, maybe this is a black swan event um, with the uh, water levels of the Panama Canal because you can't sit there in idle waiting to get your product. Because the worst thing you can have, Pete, is lack of control when your goods are on a vessel that you cannot access, that your bottom line is being impacted. So the transit time to LA is less. Let's just get it over there and redirect. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a banner year in 2024 for the LA Long Beach market. And um, it, it should be interesting. So I was thinking, Pete, this wouldn't be appropriate without ending this. I'm thinking of the Thin Lizzy song that the boys are back in town. And I'm going to see if Keenan can overlay that uh, that on, uh, intro into this uh into this segment but everybody's coming back to la baby i love that song doug um, yeah i wonder if keenan's even heard it but i absolutely <laughs> love that song yeah. uh lot to unpack here about the east coast so first and i guess probably most important is the lesson learned people learned that you can effectively manage supply chains by by using both both coasts. You have a lot of American companies now that have decided to mix and match, try to do some West Coast, do some East Coast and not put all their eggs in one basket, but also to be able to uh, manage distribution and inbound logistics from the East Coast because the price right now is so low. You know, it's, 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 it's not as low as using a West Coast port. Don't get me wrong, but it's low enough now where people are seeing that, that constricted lead time from when it gets to the port on the East Coast to distribution centers on the East Coast. And uh, great lesson learned. I think as the price maintains as low as it is, which looks like it could be happening for a while, it's going to let people to, again, continue to mix and match. And the, the competitiveness, the modernization, the amount of automation, just how well the East Coast was able to perform, I think surprised a lot of people. They mm-hmm. weren't expecting that the you know ports in New York um, Savannah, Florida, it, you know, all of them, we're going to be able to be as competitive. I spent a lot of time in Charleston the last couple of weeks. I was um, pleasantly surprised to hear how many people do not plan on abandoning their East Coast process. Now, you bring up the Panama Canal, which is a, a great point, but it's not going to last forever. So with any luck, knock on wood, right, hope not being a strategy, people do continue to use that. But, uh, Doug, your, your, your first comments were the ones that really – are the most important ones. This is a business that follows cost. And if you're able to find a way to use that West Coast, feel comfortable when now the port strikes over with, um, you're absolutely going to use every single opportunity you can to shave, in some instances, you know, dollars, cents out of supply chains, depending on volumes. So um, the West Coast will be coming back. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And when you're financing inventory with the way interest rates are now and your product is sitting on a vessel, that Absolutely. is stalled or stopped out, you know, the, the smaller importer, the emerging brands, I mean, that'll crush you, right? So get it, it yeah. just get it off the vessel where you have more control. So uh, it'll be interesting, but you're right. LA's coming back, baby. Yeah. 
West Coast is the best coast. Um, you know, and, and sticking sticking with that that maritime theme, you know, my first topic, Doug, delves into this as well. We we have spoken a lot about what's going on with the ocean carriers. And last week there was a, a very big news report about how Maersk has been laying people off and the total layoff was around 10% of its labor force. They've, they've gotten um, they've they've gotten to a point where they've they've resized themselves by about 10,000 people. That's a lot. Um, that's a lot. And if you go through LinkedIn, just a casual browse through LinkedIn, or if you do, you know, a Google news search and you start reading the opinion pieces about this, they're talking about how this is, um, you know, this is a bellwether of just how awful things are going to be for, for those, those companies. I think that that's really exaggerated, Doug. Um, if you look at the profit margins that the carriers are still making, um, they're actually in line with 2019. If not in line, they're doing better than mm -hmm. they were before the pandemic. So these these ocean carriers are still making money, and they're doing they're doing well with volumes as compared to pre-pandemic. I used the word ridiculous in a LinkedIn um, comment this week. What we saw was ridiculous, and the profit that came from it was ridiculous during the COVID period. I think it's it's not so much about this bellwether of everything going to hell, buddy. I think it's just a great indication of the fact that um, they're looking at where they are now post-pandemic, all these acquisitions that people have made, and they're making decisions about where they, like you said, do the things they're good at, but also make sure that they've, they're marshalling those resources into the right things for growth during what's definitely going to be a down couple of years. There, there was uh, one report where the CEO of Maersk was expecting things not to really get into a, their idea of a positive situation until 2026. Um, and that being the case, you just got to right size. So I think you're going to see that across the industry. Um, we've talked a lot about that before, Doug. This isn't going to end. It won't be the last time we hear about significant layoffs. Um, let's just hope it's not one of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I would agree to that. So the mayor's thing, it, um, the headline is the number 10,000, right? I mean, 10% of a workforce is yeah. a lot. But when you throw a number out like 10,000, when I saw that, Pete, and you sent it over to me in a text message, I think over the weekend or maybe last Friday, I was like, oh, my God. Right. My I was like, oh, when the big guys like that start dropping numbers like 10,000, yeah. um, it can create, you know, maybe even a little bit of panic. But I think the one thing that you made mention of is that forget COVID. Let's snapshot what it looked like in 2019, because remember, the pandemic hit, you know, uh, March of 2020 and everything froze right and then the um you know the roaring 20s started really until 2021 second half so if you get rid of that craziness and you just focus on what things were like 20, uh, 2019 which is pushing four and a half years ago right uh, mem memories are short so only people focus on the heyday and 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 the cliff that's happened but um it is scary. When I saw that number, I was like, oh, my gosh, if a company like Maersk is dropping 10,000 people, you know, are we doom and gloom? But I think you got a good perspective. It's, let's look at the right metric, not the COVID metric, as far as a, a growth and, and how things are going. So, But it makes a good headline with 10,000 people and you compare in the last four years on how things have changed. Yeah, what really gets me keyed up though, Doug, is all these forward-looking comments that the carriers are making about how, well, you know, everyone, things are going to be pretty tough out there. You know, it's like, it's like um, they're baking in excuses for their, their shareholder calls. 
already when this is this has never been an easy business to make money in we just have to go out there and work hard you know it's 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 in my whole career it's it's almost always been a very challenging environment and you just got to sell hard work hard keep your clients give them the service that they that they wanted in the first place and then don't let them down this is an opportunity to go out there and and sell more work harder so in the words of uh, of jocko wilnick nobody cares work harder <laughs> all right that sounds good that's a good way to end it all right so halftime that's where we are right now and uh that's brought to us by cap logistics they're the ones that put this whole show on and we can't thank them enough um so caplogistics.com um check them out for uh, your supply chain needs um pete i'm gonna let you roll this one you go with halftime first all right yeah um not to go on a rant here but uh not Dennis Miller. I was about to say, um, not to go on a rant, comma, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you are you okay, America? Are you okay? Um, everywhere I go now, I see dogs. And I, I love dogs, Doug. You know I love dogs, right? But do we really need them in bars and in restaurants? When you, when you go to Walmart, do you really need your dog with you? When you – when you're walking to start – it's just they're – it's, it's become almost like a fashion accessory to have your dog everywhere you go. And, um, you know, I was at a restaurant this weekend um, and there was, there was a person who actually had a great Dane at a fine dining restaurant. And um, again, love dogs, but what are we, France? Um, you know, we got to have these things everywhere now. So America, are you okay? Are you Okay. Have we gotten to the point now where we've got to bring our dog everywhere we go because we're just we're just not there, right? It's a dog, love dogs, but I also love to eat my meal without having to worry about uh, you know a 125 pound animal across from me. It just seems a little bit counterintuitive, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy when you were when you were just talking about that. I mean, I I'm indifferent with dogs. I don't have a dog. I don't dislike them. I don't necessarily whatever. I mean, they are what they are. But I was thinking. Most of the dogs that you see out there are accompanied. Their their um, their owners are young, right? I mean, I don't see any 60, 70, 80 year old people kicking it with their dog in public places. It's usually, you know, bar here in Colorado. You can't, you know, swing a dead cat without seeing a dog in a bar. No, you know, no no joke intended, but um, maybe it was intended. But anyway, I, I would agree. The funny thing is, it's all younger folks, right? And then the, the Pete, when I see a dog on an airplane, ugh, just roll my eyes. Like, are you freaking kidding me? So, um, yeah, I would say what's going on in some instances, what is okay? going on? Are you okay? Yeah. You know, um, is this part of just the attention seeking behavior of look at me, look at me. I brought my dog to the bar. Um, Hey, don't get me wrong. They can be real magnets for, you know, if you're trying to pick somebody up, but, um, I just, I don't get it, Doug. I don't understand it. Right. And, it, and it's 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 getting to the point now where people have them all dressed up with them. They've got strollers for their dogs. Like, okay, you need to get it together. OK, folks, just get it together. And, you know, you know, Keenan's probably probably takes his dog everywhere. I bet I bet Keenan, like as soon as we're done, he's be like, how dare you? How dare you? When I go out for my kombucha and, you know, uh, I always have my dog with me. Well, good for you, buddy. Get it together. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, this, this is, yeah. So mine is uh, speaking about chat GPT and it's more specific to another company that Elon Musk 
created that nobody's heard about. Um, it's called XAI. X, I'm mm-hmm. sure that's a spin for Twitter. And it's Elon Musk's uh, entry into um, the uh, artificial intelligence and, and chat GPT. So it is called Grok, G-R-O-K. And I went online. I want to make sure I was pronouncing that correctly. So it's Rock with the G, not Gronk, like the football player that retired, but Grok, like Rock. Um, so it's the newest from from Musk. And the, the one thing that uh, the article that I read is said that um, it has wit, sarcasm, and a little bit of rebelliousness. And they said that um, its demeanor was taking from, uh, taken from that movie, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was a book, I'm sure the movie was better. But um, anyway, sarcasm. Um, and I think the the test, which it blows me away, Pete, is that uh, Grok explained how to make cocaine. Um, that was the test. Like, here's this cool new chat, or not chat, GP, this, this AI piece. And let me show you how cool it is. It's going to tell you how to make cocaine. And then at the very end, it had a disclaimer um, and said, oh, you shouldn't do that, really. It's not safe. It's illegal, blah, 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 blah. But wit, sarcasm, and rebellionness is um, is a thing. And it will monitor uh, X slash Twitter in real time. So I, I don't know how that's going to play out. You know, you kind of see what's going on with Twitter and and is it uh, is it uh, you know newsworthy? But uh, that's unique. That's unique. So the weird thing, Pete, is I don't know how it happened, but I was on an email with some executives at X. I don't know how they got my email. That slipped through, and they were talking about some of the terminology that Grok was going to be using. So here's uh, a couple of them, Pete. I don't know how again. I don't know how I got on this email chain, but one of them, Grok is going to say, "What you talking about, Willis?" Right. That's one of the things. Another one for our older crowd, kiss my grits, which I don't know. There must be some older people working at uh, at X, but that's flow from that TV show. Um, there's another one. This is kind of funny. Uh, as if, which I think is a spinoff from from Clueless. Right. Um, and the last one I saw, this was the most important. Repeat. Again, I don't know how I got in this email, but I did. It, it referred to as respect my authority. And I'm like, if they're dropping Cartman in this thing, then I'm all for it. So I don't yeah. know. Those are things that they're going to bring out that Grok is going to be uh, speaking towards. So I don't know. Have you heard of this thing? I have not until you brought it up. And then, you know, I'm looking at it and thinking, it's funny and Woody says who, right? Like who, <laughs> who says that? And and what I, my, my immediate fear was, this is an Elon Musk product. Elon Musk thinks he's hysterical. He is not. Um, he's brilliant. He he's thoughtful. He's a genius, sure, but I don't think any of us ever really listen to him and say, "God, that guy is hysterical," right? Um, so it sounds like they're trying to model it after his brain. But but it brings up a, a broader point. You know, we we talk about the purchase of Twitter and its its transformation to X. It's real. It's real value to a company that manages AI is just access to all that content. It's access to how people speak, how they interact with one another, comments versus what was said, being able to upload that in a way that will help to teach these machine learnings, AI models, how to interact more more like a human being by looking how we act on Twitter. And if that's the case, we are truly doomed, Doug, because Twitter is a cesspool. (laughs) um, But but I think that's a big reason why he did what he did. 
more than trying to save humanity and give us a place to be able to, you know, use our first amendment rights. Um, it's just that incredible amount of data that will be available. Yeah. Yeah. The X connection is, is, uh, is the unique angle. So, but, uh, yeah, so that was halftime. Good topics, uh, dogs and Elon Musk. Um, that's a hell of a combo. So this, this is when we shift to the second half of, uh, global trade this week. So I don't know. Do I go first on this one, Pete? Yep. You're up, Doug. All right. So this is not directly related to transportation logistics, but it caught my attention the other day and it made a little bit of news. But um, uh, part of the Recovery Act that uh, that went into place at the tail end of COVID was talking about modernizing the rails. And um, that was specific to moving people, primarily uh, the corridor on the East Coast, right, between Boston, which you're familiar with, and D.C., which you're familiar with. And so it's the busiest rail corridor um, that stretches from Boston to D.C., $16 billion um, in 25 different passenger rail projects, primarily on Amtrak in their northeast corridor. I'm sure there's some nickname that 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 has. But um, I didn't realize this, Pete, 800,000 trips per day. Um, wow. And that region, uh, I'm looking at some notes here, represents 20% of the nation's GDP on a, any given day. So lots of people, lots of commerce, things of that nature. So I love it, right? I love the fact that um, they're doing this. And I think it could be a phenomenal um, rally cry for Mayor Pete. This is kind of his bailiwick, right? Um and um, listen, we need a paradigm shift and we, we, we want to reduce emissions. So I'm hoping that not only are they talking about, look at all this infrastructure, but if they could spin it to talk about the benefit, because there is true benefit. Yes, we can create an electric vehicle and give you a device that's going to generate less emissions, but you're going to be doing the same thing that you've been doing. We're just replacing a, uh, uh, a gas car and a fuel with electric. Why don't we talk about paradigm shifting the way people move and getting more people on the rail. We've spoken about um, the amount of fuel it takes to move a ton of cargo, X number of distances on the rail. I think that they sh- that, that they can uh, spin this in the same way and that um, I'm a fan of it, right? Uh, Denver doesn't have much rail access, but I take the train out to the airport every single time I travel. It's easy. It's cheap. Uh, and I'm glad that they're focusing on that. The one thing, Pete, they need to figure out how to drop some pass packages on that thing. And, and I didn't do enough research on this. Maybe Amtrak is already doing this, but they need to amplify that sucker. And the amount of cargo that they could put, just like airplanes, put it in the belly of the plane, put it in the belly of the train. I love that, Pete. That's my next That's my next thing. Forget BOPUS. Belly of the train is my new catchphrase. But if they can add capacity to move tangible products in addition to improving the rail system for the movement of people, I think it can be a, a, a big win. So, you know, we badmouth some 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 of that stuff and and uh, and whatnot, but Mayor Pete needs to jump on this thing big time, and I, I and I'm glad that they're uh, they're uh, improving the infrastructure out there. It, it, it does mean a lot, and it, it is impactful. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I've talked about it before, but I. I love taking the train between Boston and DC. If I go to New York, I almost always take the train. It's just more convenient. Um, I, I enjoy the whole experience, you know, being able to go to the bar car, get a drink, 
Um, if it's early in the morning, get something for breakfast, get some coffee. They have internet the entire time. It's wonderful. And I compare it though to my experiences in other countries when I go on these high-speed rail connections in China that are incredible. Um, and this, you know, same for Japan. When I'm when I'm in Europe, getting on a train is just more convenient. It's easier, but the infrastructure already existed. So as much as I love my Northeast Corridor buddy, um, you know, bring up the, the point right there. When are we going to have high-speed rail over longer distances? And when are we going to have it in in places that really could use it because of the growth that it's seeing, like Colorado, like Texas, um, where it would make so much more sense? And there there are instances of passenger carriers having a spare, you know, spare car that is carrying cargo, and they sell it on a, a high end priority service that says if you have something that needs to get to another major city in eight hours, we can do that for you, or mm-hmm. six hours, or five hours, and um, you know, consistently speaking, if you look at how well the rail does, it's generally on time. It's it's not as affected by traffic. It's not as affected by a lot of the external forces that hit trucking. So, Doug, I, I couldn't agree with you more. How how can we use a hybrid of these two things together to not only lower emissions, but to also bring more opportunity and variety to the supply chain? Yeah, agreed. All right, Pete, bring us home. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, Tough topic, but one that we 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 give a, a lot of attention to on the show, and that's forced labor. Um, you know, the, the Uyghur situation in China opened up an opportunity for us as a global trade to make a decision, not just in the United States, but, but practically every major country, that we weren't going to support um, the exploitation of a working force in order to um, make things cheap and customs. Here in the U.S., I can speak to that one directly, has done some very sophisticated things to catch people who are breaking the rule here. Um, and, and it's been incredible to watch, Doug, how, how the whole world is sort of coalesced around this idea. Now we're seeing it pushed into chemicals as well. Customs is able to do some analysis of chemicals to determine if they were produced in areas or by companies that also use forced labor, um, slave labor, child labor. And the the interest on Capitol Hill now is how can we expand this into other areas of commodities? One of the first ones I've heard about is chocolate. The cocoa that's used for chocolate, about 60% of it comes from two particular areas, Guyana and uh, the Ivory Coast. And in those instances, most of it is produced by hand by child labor and forced labor who's being paid less than a dollar a day if they're paid at all. Um, there's other commodities as well that have been brought up, things like the, the rubber that's used in latex, uh, tremendous amounts of uh agricultural goods. And then how can it be expanded beyond that? Uh, a great example of that would be going after drug cartels that are currently um, trying to legitimize their fortunes by being involved in things like avocado farms. So I think, Doug, what we're going to see as early as next year is a call from people to expand this program into other areas and other commodities and make this more of a um, an ongoing way that we enforce against forced labor and slave labor and child labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think when you peel the onion back, per se, I think there's a lot more of that happening across the world that we may not be aware of. And, you know, kudos to uh, Customs and Border Patrol to have technology and and the ability to identify it, not control it, but um, um, prevent it or have the ability to sanction against it where there's companies. So I think it's a long way this isn't going to fix the problem or eliminate the problem, but it will bring right. to light 
uh, a lot of this uh, forced labor that's happening in other markets. The one thing that keeps coming to my mind, Pete, is the push for electric vehicles in the United States and the raw materials needed to support the battery manufacturing is coming from third world countries where there are humans with picks and axes digging stuff out of the ground. And uh, it's kind of a quandary because that is exactly what you're talking about. But at the same time, U.S. government is absolutely promoting that with uh, with big business here in the United States to try to go green. So uh, it'll be interesting to see when those two worlds collide or come together, uh, what, what's that going to mean? But I'm going to keep an eye on that aspect of the forced labor um, piece of it. Yeah, I agree, Doug. You know, and finding intelligent, creative, cost-effective ways to recycle those materials, I think, is also going to be important so that we don't have to put so many people in jeopardy to collect them. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's another very important aspect of what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Good deal. Well, Pete, we're going to wrap that thing up. I think the team around you became quiet after that, uh, after our intro. So um, I think, uh, I, I don't know the name of the hotel you're at. Maybe we shouldn't make mention of it, but you know, there's no desks in the rooms, but which seems strange, but you, you made it work. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, buddy. Who could, who could miss this opportunity, Doug? Come on. It's my weekly <laughs> well, check-in with, with Uncle Dougie. Yeah. Yep. 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 So uh, I think that's it. Good luck with uh, the uh, the show and, and your speech tomorrow. And again, I don't want to forget uh, the road trip that Global Trade this week is taking to Boca Raton on uh, the first part of December, December 5th and 6th uh, down in Boca Raton with TAPA. Uh, we're doing a live version of Global Trade this week, and we appreciate Cindy allowing us the opportunity. So We'll talk more about it. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in person again, Pete. And I want to yeah, thank buddy. everybody for joining us today on Global Trade This Week. Um, have a good one. And uh, we'll catch you here in like seven days. All Thanks, right. Pete. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye.